Well, today we are hoping to conclude our series looking at living in sync, living in unity as a church. And I don't need to stress too much the fact that there is so much relational fragmentation all around us, whether that's in our homes, whether that's in our workplaces, in society in general, and sometimes even in the church. And that's why a message on unity is so important. Because of the physical distance in this time of pandemic, it sometimes makes it hard to connect and therefore relationships can be strained. Certainly, we appreciate the advantage that we have with the possibility of virtual conversations, either through FaceTime or Zoom or WhatsApp video or Messenger video. But in reality, there's nothing like being able to sit next to one another and talk through some of these things. Also, we live in a society that is incredibly polarized. Uh, all I need to do is just mention certain key words and certainly everybody who would be watching this, as much as everybody in society will have an opinion on it. So if I was to say Black Lives Matter, if I was to say wearing masks, if I was to say lockdowns, if I was to talk about the American elections, people would have an opinion and, and, and they would be very polarized. How do we make sense of living in unity in a fragmented world? Well, to me, the answer comes coming back to God's word and realizing that actually even what for us, the diversity of our church congregation can be either a blessing or a curse if it isn't harnessed in the right way. And the Bible is so beautiful because it gives us an incredible guideline for how we should actually live. And there's no better place to go than to actually see the first formed church. And by church, I don't necessarily mean an established organization, but actually the first believers gathered together called the Christians. And we're camping in Acts chapter 2. And this is following the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was being poured upon the disciples and the baffled crowd gathered curious and Peter stood and preached Jesus to them, inviting those who were watching and listening to respond to his invitation to follow Jesus. <clears throat> so, after people respond, they get baptized and they join together the rest of the disciples. <coughs> and suddenly, this becomes a, a, an incredible gathering of people. And here is where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4. When the believers are beginning to emerge as a congregation, as a gathered church. And this is what Luke is writing in Acts chapter 4 verse 32. Just reading a couple of verses from there. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great powers, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons amongst them. For from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and laid it at the apostles' feet, who distributed them according to the needs of the people. What you see here is really what I would call, and the title of this message is, Show Me Unity. Show Me Unity. What does it really look like? Not theory, but practice. And here you have this uh, domino effect where people are becoming Christians 
And as a result of becoming Christians, their lives are changed from the inside out. And as a result of their lives being changed, the watching world takes notice and they pay attention. What are some of the key things here that you see in the life of this community? He was probably no different than ours, probably very diverse. People that were being brought together. And the one thing that they had in common is that they all responded to Jesus. So how did they end up being such a radical, generous, united, loving community that the world around them took notice of what was happening amongst them? And there are several things that you can see here. First of all, it's the allegiance that they have for one another. It says here, all the believers were one in heart and mind. All the believers were one in heart and mind. I love the way Luke explains that this unity wasn't just based on a whim or on the fact that they all like the same Netflix series or they all follow the same sports team. It's not that kind of allegiance. This is something that is incredibly profound and their whole being is being affected. When the Jews would talk about the heart, they would talk about their will, the, the, the very center of their being. And when they talked about the mind, they realized even from, a point, from the point of view of a concept or philosophy of life, they were on the same page. It's mentality and affection, the whole package. It's not one of those situations where you kind of say, well, I kind of like somebody, but I don't like the way they think. Or I like the way they think, but I can't stand being around them because they're a really annoying person. No, this was a whole mind and heart kind of expression of allegiance. They were all believers, all in heart and mind. And that word believers is a key word because this change is simply only happening because they have taken that step to believe in Jesus and to respond to him as their saviour. And as their king. Without it, this unity is impossible. You cannot genetically engineer unity or try to create systems within the church or try to create a philosophy in the church to which people would be united. The uniting comes because they're all focused in the same direction, they're all submitting to the same king, their heart is given to Jesus in the first place, and as a result, when they come together, they're able to respond. To this and there is this high level of allegiance and this allegiance would have been expressed by many of them before as they got baptized publicly and they expressed that allegiance to Jesus but as soon as they start following Jesus they are added to the rest of the Christians it's impossible to follow Jesus and not be added to the church and the moment that happens you become one in heart and mind it's an incredible process that happens and there's an incredible sense of allegiance that is displayed by them in this. You see, they could have very easily said, you know what, I'm happy to follow Jesus, but you know what, I don't want to be with Joe or Joanne because I don't really like them. They're coming from a different kind of family. They're coming from a different town. They've got a different accent. They might even have a different color skin. So I'm all right with following Jesus, but just don't put me together with these people. They didn't do that. They didn't say that. Once they start following Jesus, there is this radical realignment of their values in their life. And suddenly they are one in mind and heart. That is serious allegiance. And my heart 
is longing for us at CFM to be the kind of people that have the same level of allegiance. Because we all know Jesus, because we all submit to Jesus, somehow to realise that the people that are around us as part of this congregation, that they're part of this community of faith, are actually the same ones that for whom Jesus died just like he died for us. And we become one in heart and mind as the Spirit of God indwells us and as the Scriptures teach us. That's the kind of allegiance that I'm looking for. I would love for people to actually look at our values and our direction and our culture and say, this is home. This is where I want to be. And look at the people in the church and say, yeah, they're, 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 they're different than me. We're a very diverse group. We've got very different backgrounds and different passions. And we are one in heart and mind because of Christ. That's the kind of unity we long to see where allegiance is so high and then as you look at them there is this incredible altruism altruism is displayed through the generosity that they have altruism is that interest that we have for somebody else it's the opposite of egoism in which we're very selfish and they basically end up being incredibly generous selling some of their possessions and then bringing the proceeds to the feet of the apostles, the leaders in the early church, and saying, guys, would you use them in order to bless other people who might be in need? This is incredible altruism. This is a heart of generosity here. And this is a domino effect I was telling you about. First of all, it starts with knowing Jesus as Savior and King. And then you suddenly develop this incredible allegiance towards Jesus's people and you become one in heart, heart and mind and then it's not just theoretical this heart and mind we're kind of one in heart and mind we sing the same songs no it's doing life together and these people dig deep into their pockets and sacrificially this is not just I love you pat on the back send you a nice email or a great emoji no this is real they sacrificially sell something in order to give and release the funding to help somebody who's going through a hard time. There is an example of a character in the New Testament and Luke describes us how a, a man called Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, basically was pretty, probably pretty corrupt and, and very much disliked by the people around him. And he was considered anything but a religious person. Yet Jesus has an encounter with him and invites himself to Zacchaeus's house. Mind-blowing. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the paparazzis and the press would have had a field day on this because this would have been so shocking for Jesus to do something like that. He was the most unlikely person that should have had a visit from Jesus. The, 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 the man who was holy, the prophet of God, the one who was revealed as a great healer and a great teacher. Yet when Jesus comes to his house, something happens in Zacchaeus's heart and as a result of it he recognizes that he needs to pay back the people he has wronged and also sell part of his possessions to release funds to help the poor this is what happens this is a domino effect the spiritual domino effect of having Jesus as savior and king in your life you develop this allegiance mind one mind and heart and then you become very altruistic very generous and for Zacchaeus 
his idol, his god, if you want, would have been money, possessions, gathering a lot, you know, driving the right chariot, having the right horse, his kids wearing the right label of sandals in school and, you know, being able to take selfies with other celebrities. But the moment he meets Jesus, none of that matters. His values are turned upside down and the selfishness is binned. And instead, there's a release of generosity and kindness in his heart, because that's what happens when you meet Jesus. And as a result of it, we see it in Zacchaeus's life and we see it in the life of those people in the early church. And what's beautiful about it, this is not constrained. It's not as if the leaders of the church are coming to the people and squeezing them for their pennies. No, this is all voluntary and this is all individual decision where people are just saying we are compelled by the generosity of God and the love of God and the compassion for somebody who has less than we do to actually become altruistic. That's the beautiful change that is happening in their life. And there are two key things that are happening here as, you, as they become altruistic. They're being set free from greed and selfishness. And they begin to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. And they begin to see the needs that maybe beforehand they would have never seen. Because their pursuit had one goal. More money, more possessions, more fame, more pleasure. But the moment Jesus comes into their life, they see people. They see people through the eyes of Jesus. And they're able to release with generosity what that which God has given them. And it's almost like their priorities and values are being rearranged and everything gathers a new perspective. Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, talks about possessions and he warns people and he said, be very careful not to gather treasure here on earth because moth and rust and thieves will make sure that you could end up empty-handed. Therefore, gather treasure in heaven where that isn't likely to happen. You're not likely to lose it. And this is what's happening when you meet Jesus' domino effect in your life. Is it actually your values get turned upside down and you begin to make an investment in people for heaven, for eternity, not just for here and now. And that's the beauty of the great value of altruism in this community. And then the dominoes keep tipping over. And what you see here is just this incredible reaction from the people around them. And he says this, with great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned houses would sell them and bring in the money to those who had needs. This became an advertisement for everybody he was watching. See, the change that was happening in them became a living advert, tangible, visible, audible to those around them. Because they were changed, they were being able to incarnate that change and make it visible to the people around them. As people around them would have seen their generosity, 
they would have never missed the fact that it only came because of Jesus and the change that Jesus had done in their life. I can imagine that Zacchaeus' friend, or maybe some of the friends of these people in the church who were selling their property, one of them was Barnabas. We don't know the names of all the other ones. Their friends and neighbours and relatives would have said, wow, what's happened to you? We, we all hear anecdotal stories of people who have an incident happen to them when they suddenly become incredibly generous with their wealth. And people go, what's happened to you? And then the people will be able to testify and say it's because of Jesus. He's the one that made all the difference in my life. And that's what would have happened here. There is that sense in which through their giving, the people would have been able to see it. That's the kind of unity I long for amongst us. Sometimes when we think about unity, we think, do you know what? I'd settle for us not fighting and falling out with each other. But there is something so much deeper that I see in this community, in the first Christian church, in the book of Acts. And what I see there is an incredible altruism. What I see there is an incredible attraction that comes from the way they live. What I see there is this great allegiance to Jesus that starts it all and great allegiance to one another that enables that radical generosity. Do you know, let me say it straight away. This isn't primarily about money. This is primarily about unity. And unity is a spiritual thing. It comes from Jesus. It starts with Jesus. It's centered on Jesus and what he's done for us and the fact that he has brought us together. And my prayer is that we would begin to grow more and more, not just to simply be the kind of people that don't fall out with each other, but people that would be so radically united, would have such a sense of allegiance and altruism in our lives that actually we would incarnate the same kind of values that the early church would have had and show the watching world that the grace of God has met us. And like Zacchaeus, we're being changed from the inside out. It's, it's an incredible transformation. And I think unity is the key to unlocking and developing both Christian maturity and Christian mission. We will never be mature spiritually as a church if we're not united. And we would certainly not thrive missionally as a church if we are not united. And that's why unity is so important. And particularly in the context that we're living right now with the challenges that are highlighted right at the beginning of the message, this is an important message, a great reminder, an incredible encouragement to be spurred on and ask God to release his unity amongst us. I deeply believe that unity has to be displayed practically. It's not just good enough to have words and to pretend and to have a sense of allegiance to the brand, but it's, it's not visible. See, the beautiful thing is that the generosity that you see here is a love language anybody can understand and relate to because it's practical. And that's where unity is at its best, where it is practical where we have the eyes and ears of Jesus, where we have that allegiance to one another, where we're in mind, one mind and one heart. And we basically do whatever it takes to support, to encourage, to build up, 
to release gifting, to stand by shoulder to shoulder, to cry together, to celebrate together. That's what it means to be part of God's community and live in unity. And it simply comes back to that sense of surrendering to Jesus. I cannot make myself be better at unity with my brothers and sisters in, in the church. I need to come to Jesus. Let Jesus take control of my heart, my mindset, my mouth, my actions, so that he develops me more and more into a likeness of him. That's the key. It's surrendering to Jesus daily and saying, Jesus, give me your heart for the people around me in the church. Give me your eyes so I can see the needs. Give me your hands, the generosity. I can do whatever needs to be done to be an encouragement and a support to them. That's the kind of life that God is wanting to see us live. General Colin Power, who was very famous for those in my generation, uh, a US general, uh, became a motivational speaker after he retired from the army. And when he was going on a circuit, very often he would tell a story that, uh, that captures the heart of, of the longing for unity that he had. And um, Sam Donaldson, who was an ABC uh, correspondent, was interviewing a young African-American soldier uh, in a tank platoon on the eve of the Battle of Desert Storm. Again, those of my age would remember Desert Storm. And Donaldson asked this young man, how do you think the battle will go? Are you afraid? And the young man replied like this. He said, well, do okay. We're trained. I'm not afraid. And then after it was stopped, he gestured towards his buddies around him, his fellow soldiers. And he simply said this. I'm not afraid because I am with my family. And then the other soldiers overhearing what he said, shouted to him, tell him again, tell him again, let him hear it. And then he looked around and he says, this is my family and we'll take care of each other. CFM Church. This is what Jesus wants to do in our lives. He has come to be our saviour and king and to make us the most beautiful tapestry of people that are united. Not through manipulation, not through any artificial means, but simply as we follow him and surrender to him and let his life come into us, we begin to be changed like Zacchaeus from the inside out. And we begin to be like that first church in Acts, where we radically part with the things that we used to own and the things that owned us and begin to bless others. My prayer is that as a result of what the Spirit of God and the Scriptures are doing in my life and your life, we will be those people that would consistently be a living advert for the watching world that would say, that's what unity looks like. Amen.